I am Loki of Asgard, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. Loki is a new Marvel series about everyone's favorite adopted little brother. Ooh, Sterling Brown got his own This Is Us spinoff? Oh, Jonah, we're talking Loki, a series about how three lizards manipulate the sacred timeline. Dave, you're starting to sound like my cousin who's into some very specific Facebook groups. Well, get ready to click join, Jonah, because Loki is a show that presupposes that the entirety of existence is predetermined, and free will is pretty much a hilarious joke at our expense. <laughs> cool, and it's for kids, right? Absolutely! Kids love this stuff! They also love galaxy brains, and this week we're traipsing through the multiverse with the host of the Take Line podcast, Jason Concepcion, to unlock the mysteries of Marvel's Loki. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Mr. Minutes himself, Jonah Ray. Each week on the show, we start with the logic brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive to the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, host of Crooked Media's Take Line podcast and Marvel superfan Jason Concepcion. Jason knows more about the Marvel Cinematic Universe than one might think is humanly possible, which makes him the perfect guest to help us understand just how existentially bleak Loki actually is. But before we go full emo night over a superhero show, we're going to need to develop our frontal lobes in a segment we call Logic Brain. Ahoy, matey! We got spoilers off the port bow! This is the second time you've used a pirate voice in one of these segments. Loki is not about pirates? Arg, well, I've asked this, me matey. Loki is the ultimate time pirate. Well, shiver me, Timbers, Dave. Yuck. You can walk my plank any day. Oh, jeez, enough. Nobody listens to this show for our flirting. <laughs> anyway, Jonah and I have seen the first two episodes of Loki, but that's it! If you haven't seen the first two episodes, travel back in time to when they premiered and watch them. If you've seen the third episode, don't be surprised if we say nothing about it. If you've seen the other episodes because you live in the future, first of all, how is it? Has life gotten any better? Oh, did I get that part I went up for on the Sex and the City reboot? I hope, I hope, I hope I didn't. Did the Dodgers win the World Series? Again. Is my neighbor still playing that slide guitar until three in the morning? Because I cannot go to sleep with those sweet, sweet tunes. Also, how's the rest of Loki? Is it any good? Because the first two episodes are great. We pick up the trickster god story during the mind-bending events of Avengers Endgame. Loki has stolen the Tesseract and disappeared into the time stream, but he's also raised the ire of the Time Variance Authority, a stuffy bureaucratic organization that manages the complicated web of timelines and alternate dimensions that make up the Marvel Universe. Now, the timekeepers protect and preserve the proper flow of time for everyone and everything. You see, Loki, from a different dimension, has been killing TVA agents, and the only one who could help stop them is, of course, our special little Asgardian boy. Oh, our special little boy. The one that we have to go to the parent-teacher conferences about all the time. He's like the uh, Kendall Roy from Succession of Marvel Universe characters, I think. Hail to the motherfucking OG. Wouldn't you love to see Loki do an L to the OG rap? 
about about his dad, Odin. <laughs> but in this special episode of Loki, we find out that the other Loki. This isn't about you. Is a woman. <gasps> what? And also way more evil. Let's break down that superpowered gender reveal the old fashioned way. In a podcast conversation with two cisgendered men, it's critical brain time. This is probably the best of the three Marvel shows so far. Let us talk a bit about how good the production design is because it is mind blowing. I haven't seen a show this gorgeous. They could call the show Mad Men in Space because of how gorgeous all the costumes and sets are at every point, especially in the TVA. Yeah, it's it's got the whole mid-century modern kind of West Elm vibe, but to the nth degree, the Miss Minutes little films remind you of instructional films from the 20th century, from like the 70s and 80s. I noticed, maybe I'm wrong about this, but having seen both this show and the new Black Widow movie, there is a scene where I think they're in the exact same wood paneled sort of like palatial office that the villain in Black Widow is in, but also that TBA sort of like boss is in. It's it's this like wood paneled Don Drapery office. So I think they must have just filmed these around the same time in Atlanta somewhere. And they're like, we found the best location you'll ever find. And they just reused it. I'm sure it's, it was built on Pinewood Studio stages uh, outside of Atlanta. Marvel at this point is its own studio with its, its own standing sets. Yeah, I'm pretty sure someone could do a breakdown of anytime there's a practical set and how it's used in every one of their movies and TV shows. Yeah, I think the entire economy of Atlanta is propped up by Marvel, Tyler Perry, and the strip club Magic City. Ah, okay, I was going to say The Walking Dead, but yeah, sure, yeah, uh, strip club. Also The Walking Dead, but I think that's number four behind the strip club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much to look at in this show, but what really draws my eye are the performances by our good friends Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson, who have great chemistry. Three magic lizards. Timekeepers. Created the TVA, and everyone in it, right. including you. Including me. You see, every time I start to admire your intelligence, you say something like that. I would never think to put these two together. I would never think to put Owen Wilson in the Marvel Universe, but I, it reminded me why I fell in love with this guy's acting and his comedic timing in the first place. It's a throwback to some of his kind of earlier, more subdued work. He uh, is doing some of the best work that I've seen him do in a while. The director, actually, I think she had to convince Owen Wilson to do it. He didn't want to do Loki, but she had to kind of have a bunch of meetings with him to convince him that he was right for it and it would be good for him. It's always interesting to me how actors pick their projects. And as an actor yourself, Jonah, as someone who's been in some really cool things, how do you decide what you want to be in or not be in? You keep on taking anything you can get until you are lucky enough to decide. I will tell you when I get to that part of my career where I get to decide. Well, this is a cool role. And I'm surprised that Owen Wilson would even consider, you know, not taking it. But this is like a fun, weird role. I guess it's part of it is because I don't really know who he's supposed to be. He's kind of an alien Mobius. He's lived outside of time outside of the world. They have no culture. They don't understand certain things. In the early 1990s, for a brief shining moment, there was a beautiful union of form and function, which we call the jet ski. 
so they're all kind of dorks. They're all kind of social service office rats, you know, essentially. The ties and short sleeve button up white shirts with the fluorescent lights and the boring cafeterias. That, that This is that culture's entire life. Owen Wilson's is the character that kind of longs for uh, actual culture and actual reality and I think time. These people essentially live inside the DMV. <laughs> yes. Imagine if you worked at the Department of Motor Vehicles and you didn't get to go anywhere else. You just woke up in the office, you made coffee, you ate some donuts, and then you went to bed in a cot in the back. I don't think that would be good for your brain. You know, there's lots of kind of, I think, little Easter eggs to Brazil in that world. Yeah, I think of, of all of the references, the one that was the most palpable and the most like explicit is Brazil. The Terry Gilliam film from the 80s, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best dystopian nightmares ever, I think, in terms of the cinema. It's a, it's a classic movie. It's a gorgeous movie. And it has the same kind of look and the kind of like the ideas behind all of the, the little propaganda posters and films and like things of that nature where you're living in a world that's purely bureaucratic. It comes from Brazil. But this is also not just a sci-fi. I think this is also a buddy cop comedy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's very much like 48 Hours in the sense that Loki is taken out of prison like Eddie Murphy in that movie, and he's the only one who can solve this crime. And he has this antagonistic relationship with the cop. The cop in 48 Hours is, of course, Nick Nolte. Here it's Owen Wilson. I love a buddy cop comedy. I love two opposite characters. Yeah, no, it definitely has the buddy cop vibe to it. I do like buddy cop movies when they work. And like you can see... I think with the rise of distrust towards the police that there is a, a rise in how can we do the buddy cop movie without doing a buddy cop movie? But on top of the like buddy cop thing, the duo that are working together and one believes and one does not. And that's the X-Files aspect of the show as well, of the Mulder and Scully, you know, the true believer and the skeptic, which I find to be a great way to like talk about all these insanely huge themes time and free will and gods and just belief in general. Yeah, and Loki in this show functions as a skeptic. You know, he believes what we believe, which is what we've seen in the decade plus of Marvel, which is the Infinity Stones are the most powerful thing in the universe. The Avengers are these great heroes and the villains are dastardly and anything can happen. And everybody has their own ability to control the events of their lives. And he's slowly starting to see that there's a power greater than what he thought when he was going about his day trying to subjugate the human race. The idea that your little club decides the fate of trillions of people across all of existence at the behest of three space lizards, yes, it's funny. Do you think, do you think that the people who lean on the Q side of thought might be thinking that Marvel is trying to reveal a little something about how the people who run everything are lizard people? Oh, boy. Are you saying that you think the timekeepers were on Epstein's flight logs? <laughs> Are you saying that? I just want to say, can lizards be seen on security cam footage? We don't know. We don't know. Have you ever seen a gecko on a ring cam? I don't know. I have never. Yeah, I have. It was a Geico commercial, and it was very funny. I love that guy. A gecko? He can be trusted. <laughs> Yeah, our new Loki is played by Sofia DiMartino. Sofia DiMartino is an amazing actress that I've worked with a couple times. She was in this awesome show called Flowers on Channel 4 in the BBC that ran for two seasons. And like, it's very, I'm very excited to see her in this. She had a tiny role in Yesterday. I'm going to say this is bigger, playing a version of Loki. Oh, absolutely. This is, uh, there's nothing in entertainment bigger than Marvel right now. And so this is, this is huge for her, but let's talk about 
Loki and gender because I am interested to dive in the idea that in another universe you could be a woman. That's essentially what they're saying is like in the in all the timelines, you, the specific you, who you are, could be a different gender. The idea that the vessel that the self is in, it could be anything. That's really a great thought because we're in this time when people are fighting against equality for trans and non-binary people <laughs> that find the need to push back on this idea that a trans woman is a woman or that a trans man is a man. It ruins a lot of their comedy. That's that's why they're so upset about it. They're like, if um, if it isn't just funny for a man to dress as a woman, what are we doing over here? Yeah, exactly. It takes away this arrow that they've been using for a long time. But that arrow is wrong. We shouldn't be making fun of people for those things. It's ridiculous that we ever did it in the first place. But this is not explicitly about those things, but it does make you intellectually grapple with that idea that your soul is not necessarily tied to gender expression, that gender expression is something that is societal, that it is infused into you. My son is the target audience for this stuff. And I'm also molding a human mind every day. <laughs> I'm giving him like information that he's going to use in his life. So when we talk about gender, it's a weird conversation to have because I'm telling him he's a boy. So you don't you don't wait for him to gravitate towards something. You just kind of say, well, you probably like this, this blue T-shirt, this truck, this gun. <laughs> Take this gun, young man, go out and and slay a bear for me. No, I mean, I, I, I started doing that when he was younger. But now that he's cognizant, that he has sentience, that he's not just drooling on himself and eating tomato paste for every meal, he makes decisions for himself. He says, I'm going to wear this shirt and these pants. I want to wear mommy's dress. I want to put lipstick on. He'll ask me, like, what's lipstick? I want to wear lipstick. I'm like, OK, if you'd like to do that, we'll get you lipstick. I don't care because that's what you're asking to do when you want to experience all this stuff. If I told him no, you can't do that, then I'm putting my ideas of who he is onto him. And that's something that I think we all have to break. We have to break this cycle of like, this is who you are. And so the idea that there could be a Loki out there that is a woman makes us think about like the fact that people are not defined by their gender. They are defined by the whatever special sauces inside of them. If you could call it a soul, you call it, uh, you know, a je ne sais quoi, whatever you want to call it, that thing that's inside of you that defines you is not necessarily about gender. I guess that's a microcosm of the bigger issue that the show Loki is looking at, which is, do we have a choice in anything? Does Loki have a choice to be the trickster god who wants to rule the world? Or was that just the role that he was playing? That's the role he was playing. Sound and fury signifying nothing, you know, especially after having a close friend die suddenly this year. The one thing I can say about life is life is chaos. Let's dance. Yes, absolutely. We should all be having as much fun as possible after everything we've been through. We are just organisms bouncing around in chaos. Existence is chaos. Nothing makes any sense. And I'm just lucky that the chaos I emerged into gave me all this. And that's why villains are only in this thing. They're not inherently evil, which is something that comes up. No one's inherently evil. No one's inherently good. They just are. They're just there to be foils to the heroes. Yeah, absolutely. The role of the villain in the story is to be defeated. It always is. And Loki is a hero of his story. 
And I think that is what is painful for him. The special purpose, you know? Yeah. He doesn't have a special purpose. His purpose is to get his ass kicked by the Avengers. That's what he's there for. And when he realizes that someone else is in charge and someone else has decided that he was going to fail, then it's like, well, why did he even do it in the first place? And I guess that's that's a sign that there really is no free will in the Marvel Universe. The thing is, is that there's really kind of no subtext to these movies. Essentially, the TVA is the writer's room of... <laughs> of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Yes, these characters are Kevin Feige, the Ryan Coogler's, the uh, Kate Shortland's, and all the directors who are making films and TV shows of this universe. They are the lizard people. But if there is no free will in the Marvel Universe, then what's the point of watching these movies and TV shows, I guess? If you accept this, they've ripped all of the dramatic stakes out of these movies and TV shows. Yeah, sure. But Dave, if you think movies need to have such banal bourgeois elements like stakes or excitement, sure, yeah. I, I do, Joan. I really do. Oh, come on. How tedious, Dave. Motion pictures and television programs should reflect not our hopes and dreams and aspirations, but our crushing reality. And in reality, we are ultimately powerless to control our surroundings. Um, okay, so Dave, when you woke up this morning, did you even want to? I, did you want to wake up? I mean, I could have used a couple extra winks today, but... Yeah, see, okay, but, but, so forces outside yourself demanded that you get out of bed, to work, to earn a living, to be a, a quote-unquote productive individual, to feed into the capitalist thing that we've just established as the one thing to do. So you're saying our bosses at Polygon are like the lizard people timekeepers. I didn't say that. You did. You did. You just said that. Damn it. I did. Sorry, Russ. And congratulations on your beautiful new child. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, Rush Rushstick. But up until now, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe has been crass with fulfillment. That's what it's been about. Now, Dave, it's more honest. With Loki, it is way more honest. It's about how the Avengers are puppets in a cosmic dance they do not understand themselves. And once they all figure that out, it'll just break their spirits for good. I'm going to be honest with you. That sounds awful. Awfully artistic, if you ask me. <laughs> there are so many tantalizing questions to answer now. Is Iron Man's sacrifice in Endgame quite as noble knowing he had no say in the matter? Was Thanos working with the TVA the whole time? How will Star-Lord or the Incredible Hulk respond when they realize that nothing matters? Personally, I want to pay to see that. I'm going to have Disney Plus forever now if they can keep on telling those stories. Okay, I've heard enough from you. Okay, Dave, what the hell are you doing? What, what, what's that in your hand? It's a reset charge. I can't let you get this pretentious. No, please. I, I rarely do. You've gone too far, Jonah. I need the old Jonah back. No, I want to I, I wanna be smart like you, Dave. No! Oh, hey, Dave. Uh, are we going to get started recording soon? Or, or, or what's up? Well, Jonah, when we come back, We'll be binging Loki Galaxy Brain Takes with podcaster and Marvel Cinematic Universe expert Jason Concepcion. Is that okay? Oh, cool. Yeah, I, oh, I had a really good idea for a joke on the show today where I just go, Iron Man, what if you farted? It'd be like, ah, uh, yes, there he is. Yes. <laughs> All right on, man. That's the Jota I like. Uh, gnarly. All right, Shaka bro. <laughs> 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. We're stepping through the time doors of our minds and into the existential void that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Keeping us on track is the master of the Marvel multiverse and the host of Crooked Media's Take Line podcast, Jason Concepcion. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Loki. It's a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome, and I appreciate your formal response to my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> my first question, sir in this interrogation is, mm -hmm. when is this actually taking place in the Marvel timeline? Because it feels like it could take place anywhere because the TVA exists outside of time. So when is this happening? Are we gonna find out that this show took place after all the movies in phase four? I mean, that's certainly possible. I think you're right to note that we were taking place outside time, therefore it could take place anywhere. That said, if you listen carefully to something that Mr. Mobius tells, our 2012 Loki, as they step out of the time door into 1985 Oshkosh, Wisconsin, branches have to be dealt with contemporaneously as they happen. You can't go five minutes before the branch and then stop it from happening because of the disruption in the timeline, yada, 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 metaphysical Marvel uh, lore. You have to deal with it then. Therefore, I think that it's fine to say this is happening after all the Phase 3 stuff, after Endgame, after the Avengers time heist, etc. I do kind of think that it's possible that what we saw at the end of Episode 2, the kind of explosion of branches of the timeline, is what's going to end up creating the quote-unquote multiverse of madness that we'll see in Doctor Strange. Is that is that a fair supposition? I think that that is... That's a, as good a theory as any that this is going to be part of it. I have one as well. That's why the Eternals have to step in for the first time ever is because of what's happening in Loki. Is that something that... It could be. Jonah, you could literally just ask Kumail right now. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> like every time I ask him, he's, he's like, NDA, bro. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I'm glad that he takes that stuff seriously because I would just be like, oh, here's the thing. All right. So the Hulk... If he breaches the NDA, they have to take his muscles away. They have to actually drain his muscle strength away and he has to become skinny Kumail again. Oh no, his dad will be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you disagree with me on this, Jason, but I think Loki is probably the most complicated character in the MCU. I think he's the one that has the most interesting motivations, motivations that are clear, but can shift mid-scene. I think that's one of the, the reasons why people love him so much is that he's bouncing back and forth between good and evil. Do you think that that was pre-planned all the way back to the Kenneth Branagh Thor uh, solo movie? Or do you think that's just because Tom Hiddleston 
gave such a great performance that people kind of fell in love with him? Well, a couple of things here. First of all, I, I agree with you that he's a complicated character. And I, I go further. I think what they're doing with this show is actually kind of audacious. Remember, this is the 2012 Loki, not the Loki after Thor Ragnarok, the one that dies in Infinity War, who has done heroic stuff. He, this is coming right after the Battle of New York, 2012's Marvel's The Avengers, a movie in which, and you can't say this enough, Loki is directly compared to Hitler, not by just like some person, but by like a Holocaust survivor during his raid in Stuttgart. There are no men like me. There are always men like you. Saying basically, like, you remind me of Hitler. And guess what? I'm speaking from experience because I survived the Holocaust. And then, of course, the Battle of New York is like a extended 9-11 reference. So this is a movie that compares Loki to Hitler and bin Laden. And then now we've decided let's take this character and make him a good guy. And guess what? We all agree with it because Tom Hiddleston is so charming and energetic and wonderful in the role. But I think that Hiddleston's performance is a factor. I also think if you look at the comics lore, Loki has been a character for decades. He is a character who has been mostly a villain, but has acted on both sides of it. It's a very as you note, delicate balance to strike because Thor has to keep on being tricked by this person. That means there has to be some level of empathy and love there. But also if you go back to like the Norse mythology, Loki is not like a straight out villain. He plays a very specific role in that belief system, which is not just as a trickster, but as somebody who criticizes the gods when they are arrogant when they step out of line, when they go against their own moral code, etc. Yeah, it's it's sort of like commenting on the story as the story is happening, which is what this show really is, is a commentary on the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe and taking us to a point where we're questioning whether or not any of this matters. That's kind of the heart of what we've been talking about is, does this actually matter? The first two episodes of this show ask two really big questions. What is a villain? And what role do we all play in the big story of our lives or in this particular case, the big story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? But as writers kind of try to, to deepen villainous characters and antiheroes, are those characters ever able to be anything other than a foil to a hero? Listen, Civil War, just to take an example, the Marvel the movie uh, Captain America Civil War was an interesting philosophical discussion on like whether superhero people should have government oversight. Now, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that doesn't matter, really, because we understand that Tony Stark, despite the fact that he is a war profiteer who has immiserated the globe numerous times, we understand that he's going to do the right thing because he is a heroic person. We understand his heart. Marvel is never kind of muddies the waters in that way. Steve Rogers is always going to try to do the right thing. Now, if you transport that question to the real world, it's a very different question because I 100% want uh, government oversight on like somebody who has trillions of dollars of like, weaponry in their Malibu mansion. So Loki is, is this first kind of step into a character who we're not sure what is going on in their heart. Does he want to take over the TVA to empower himself and, and rule the universe? Or is he trying to legitimately change his ways? Does he feel bad about the things that he's done? It's unclear right now, and that's part of what makes this so interesting. I'm glad you brought up the real-world implications of a person having trillions of dollars worth of military weaponry and robot suits and, like, a giant brain where he can create pretty much anything. 
that would be problematic in the real world. But in the comic book like universe, there is an inherent amount of trust that we apply to these characters, right? We trust Iron Man as the audience because he's Iron Man. We know he's a good guy. Yeah, I think that that's part of what is exciting about Loki. If they unleash him in that way where he plays the same kind of role that he played in the uh, Norse mythology as this kind of... You think Tony Stark is a hero? That's because you didn't live in Afghanistan or something like that. You know, like if he plays that kind of role. And it's also interesting as like a larger question, you know, how much can Marvel continue to play out this dynamic of just complete trust in their heroes? We've seen, you know, Amazon has really gotten some momentum behind Invincible and The Boys, which are two properties that say, okay, what if superheroes really existed and they were just dicks? Those questions are are interesting, too. But, of course, they strike directly at kind of like the Marvel engine of fiction. Right. Well, I mean, they would be dicks. Right. They would be dicks. (laughs) They would be 100% be dicks. (laughs) Right. We have seen how people with power wield that power in the real world. There's the reality that says this is horseshit. And Tony Stark would be selling arms to the Israeli government or something like he would be a a loathsome figure. We've seen analogs to Tony Stark in the real world, and they're not so great. All the people who think they're Tony Stark, who have billions of dollars, aren't doing anything for the world the way that Tony Stark does in, in the shows. So, I mean, do you think that there is some kind of metatextual relationship between the show and the people making it? Oh, it's overt. Listen, in the comics canon, okay, Walter Simonson, legendary Thor writer and artist in the late 80s, 90s, after his run on Thor, he went on to write and draw the Fantastic Four, which is where he created the TVA. And the TVA, Mr. Mobius, in the comics TVA, Mr. Mobius is all of the TVA agents. They all look like him. He had a little brown mustache, brown hair, skinny white guy, and he was very purposefully designed after Marvel editor and writer Mark Grunwald, who had a long run on Captain America. And he was, as the executive editor of at Marvel, his role was essentially the continuity guy. Like, they would check in with him and be like, hey, can I do this storyline? And he'd say, no, that clashes with uh, something they're doing in New Mutants. You can't do that for X, Y, Z reason. So very purposefully so, The TVA was created essentially as a riff on Mark Grunwald's role within the company. So that meta textual level is pretty overt. So would this be the equivalent of, let's say, George Lucas casting himself as Chancellor Palpatine in the Star Wars prequels? My young Jedi, you will find that it is you who are mistaken. Or like at least making Ian McDiarmid look like him, like with his his weird neck and like the the tweed jackets and stuff. I think it would be the actual kind of like comparison would be George Lucas casting himself as some kind of like higher level deity who is watching the struggles between this Jedi and the Sith and is kind of like letting them play out as a kind of like galactic story that must go on like throughout eternity rather than him actually being Palpatine who like plays a role in it. In an early stage of the Star Wars creation myth, there was a time when George Lucas saw this as chapters in a story in a book called the journal of the wills and the wills were like these aliens that kind of observed everything in the way the timekeepers observe everything in loki and that kind of went away and i think that that was for the best because the minute you create 
a character or a series of characters who see all, know all, and understand all, you lose some of the drama. The drama is gone because now you are not the only one observing the story. You as the audience are on the ride. But if you create a godlike figure who's manipulating things or at least like okaying everything, then you have somehow like created another wall between you and the drama. So does this edition of the Timekeepers, the TVA and all of that stuff rob the Marvel Universe of some of its drama? Yes and no. If you look at kind of the evolution of the MCU, part of what is necessary to tell these stories is a series of escalating threats, right? We went from Tony Stark versus the guy he worked with to Tony Stark versus international terrorists to Captain America fighting the Nazis, but like 70 years ago, then it's to aliens who are invading Earth and want to take everything over. And next thing you know, we're talking about Thanos erasing half the people in the universe, right? And so what next? Where do we go next? Okay, we have to go bigger. We need some bigger uh, reality-altering threat. So you can't go backward and be like, okay, let's watch Wanda Maximoff like fight a a mugger in the streets, like that's not fun. We need like something that could fundamentally destroy everything that we love and everything that we love is this entire story. It's not just any one character. The, the whole idea of Loki in the, the multiverse is that it will be chaotic. There are many different versions of reality and some of them are good and some of them are bad and there isn't just a clear order. So are you tantalized by the idea of this multiverse in the Marvel Universe? The idea that characters from previous movies will show up in cameos and kind of like spice things up, or are you sort of down on it? I'm excited about it. Listen, just to put all my cards on the table, I've been a Marvel fan since I was like eight years old. I started reading comics at like eight. I started buying them with my own money at like 10. The X-Men, mostly Avengers, West Coast Avengers, etc. Like this is everything I've ever wanted from popular storytelling. So yes, I am excited. Your mileage may vary, but like just as a longtime reader of Marvel Comics, I am one excited and I'm two excited because they haven't really even scratched the surface of the amount of stories they have. Like there's just decades and decades of stuff that they haven't even really adapted yet. And a lot of the stuff they're adapting, uh, WandaVision, for example, was like a tiny like droplet in Marvel continuity. The comics that that show comes from were not popular or big. It was an extremely small story. So there is so much stuff that can be explored. Last question. We'll make it quick. What is the one character from outside the MCU that is a Marvel character that you're excited to see in one of these movies? And why is it Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus? <laughs> Let's just say anything's possible because the multiverse allows for it and because Marvel knows how to structure a contract to be able to afford Hugh Jackman if they wanted to. Yeah, I think that it's X-Men. For me, it's any of the X-Men, Professor X, Magneto, whoever whoever they want to do first. I think that they're clearly heading there. I think that the Eternals will be part of the rollout for mutants. But that's how I cut my teeth in comics. Patrick Stewart, Professor X, or James McAvoy, Professor X? Come on, it's Patrick Stewart all the way. Peace too, of course. Of course, I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for joining us. This was, as I expected, an illuminating, fascinating conversation. And we really appreciate you bringing that perspective to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And listen to Take Line, Crooked Media. It's an amazing, amazing basketball podcast. And Jason knows so much about basketball, comic books, and just life in general. Oh, that's wonderful.
so sweet of you. You're welcome. Each week, we wrap up the show with a Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. For some context, normally we do something about TV or movies, but last week on our In the Heights episode, which was a lot of fun, but we did end up doing a lot of New York bashing on that episode. So here's a call from one of our listeners. Hi there. Uh, just wanted to reinforce that, that not only does the rest of the world feel that way about New York, that they just protest too much about how they are the best place on Earth. That's how the rest of the world feels about the entire United States. My God. Anyway, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. But uh, I think you're barking up the wrong tree with that one because Dave and I are both huge Anglophiles and believe that London is the best. Best city in the world, folks. Best city in the world. I was talking to my good friend and Peep Show co-creator Sam Bain recently, and Sam asked me, would I ever live anywhere else besides Los Angeles? And I only said London. And he's like, really? London? England? And I was like, absolutely. If it's raining all the time, I'm going to be so happy because I'm just like Shirley Manson, baby. I'm only happy when it rains. But yes, uh, most of the world thinks that America thinks of themselves as the best. And you know what? Uh, to quote Blaine Capatch's take on uh, Los Angeles, which is this. Uh, Los Angeles is three of the best cities in the country and seven of the worst. <laughs> what are the best jokes of all time? If you want to call in and tell us what your favorite city is, we'd love to hear your galaxy brain take on the best cities <laughs> or next week's topic, Fast 9. Or you can call us about Loki or In the Heights or your student film from 2012 about two preteens who use a bathtub to travel back in time to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. Our number is 213-570-8069 and it's also listed in our show notes. Give us a ringy ding ding and leave a voicemail with your take. But please make it as weird as that crappy student film idea. Finn. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week, we are indulging in some truly absurd car puns when we cover the ninth Fast and Furious movie. But first, some credits. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Shrikishen. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frustick is the director of special projects and being a dad. Special thanks to Andrew Melnizik, who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Jonah, and I've decided that. <laughs> and I'm Dave, and no one decided that for me except my parents. Take us back in time to our first ever episode, Steppenwolf. Take you away.